Hey everyone, I can't tell you how disappointed I am not to be with you today, um, mainly because of what a profound impact these truths have had on my own life over the last few years, but I do pray that they might have a similar impact on you. Remember last week we looked at Paul's uh, visit to uh, Jerusalem to meet with uh, Peter. Well, this week we're looking at Peter's visit to Paul in Antioch. Uh, In this um, first visit that we looked at last week, uh, we saw Peter, Paul, James and John lay out this important principle of what the gospel is. Uh, Remember that there was this group of false teachers that were following Paul around wherever he went and they were preaching a different gospel. Uh, They said, believing in Jesus is fine, believing in Jesus is great, um, but you need to add to Jesus Christ. Uh, In other words, they were saying Jesus wasn't enough to cleanse you and to beautify you. Jesus is not enough. They said you have to believe in Christ, but you have to add something. Now, for them, the thing that you had to add were kind of the mosaic ceremonial laws, uh, kind of like the hand washing, and especially uh, this thing about circumcision. Uh, Tim Keller says the important thing is not so much what they were adding, but that they were adding. Uh, The important thing is the principle of the gospel. Is Jesus Christ's work and his love enough to cleanse you and to beautify you all by itself? Well, Paul's answer was a resounding, yes, it is. But the answer of the false teachers was a resounding, no, it's not. One commentator sums up the issue that was at stake really helpfully. He says, the central point at issue between Paul and the false teachers concerned the logical order of three steps. And which step was the cause and which was the effect? So Paul says... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved, and immediately you will obey God's law. But the teachers were saying, yes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then you have to obey, and only then will you be saved. Paul said, believe, you're saved, and obey. The false teacher said, believe, obey, and then you will be saved. And so, in a sense... They both believed in Jesus. They believed that he was the Son of God. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he died for sin. They believed that Jesus rose again from the dead. They both believed that. But the reason Paul makes such a fuss over this issue with the false teachers in Galatia is because the difference between these three steps, believe, saved, obey, Believe, obey, saved. For Paul, it wasn't just the difference between two different denominations. This was the difference between two different religions. It's the difference between a religion that says, Jesus Christ is my teacher and my example, and he gives me the stuff I need to do in order for me to get right with God. And a religion that says, Jesus Christ is my savior, who's done everything necessary in order to get me right with God. And Paul, for Paul, these are two different religions. Well, this is what is at stake and what was at stake with Paul's visit to Jerusalem. Remember how he went down to uh, Jerusalem uh, to meet with the apostles, the guys who wrote the New Testament. And they agreed with Paul that Christ alone is enough to cleanse you and to beautify you and to make you right and delightful in God's eyes. In other words, believe, saved and obey, and not believe, obey, then saved. 
Now you would think at this stage, the false teachers having been set right by the apostles and told that they were in the wrong, because they were there, they were there in Acts 15 when the decision was made, that they would have gone home with their tails in between their legs. Dude, we just got nailed by Peter, Paul, James and John, the guys who wrote pretty much the entire New Testament. And they just set us straight publicly. I think it's time for us to call it quits and to go home. Except that's actually not what they did. Uh, We're told in Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 that uh, Peter came to um, Antioch, which was this Gentile church. And then have a look in verse 12. Paul says, certain people came from James. Now, remember, James is one of the ones who's just said Paul is right and the false teachers are wrong. Um, But these guys have come up from James and they're saying the exact opposite. They're saying, no, James said we're right and that Paul is wrong. The gospel is actually believe, obey, and then you'll be saved. Uh, And so these false teachers uh, come up from James to Antioch and they see Peter hanging out with these Gentiles who are unclean they're uncircumcised as far as they're concerned they haven't kept the ceremonial law now they couldn't believe it now remember peter believed the gospel but they began to put pressure on peter and in verse 12 if you look at it it says peter drew back from the gentiles and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction and so in verse 11 paul says i opposed him i opposed peter to his face. And so this um, second visit visit, um, where Peter comes up to Antioch, it doesn't tell us so much about what the gospel is, but about how the gospel operates in our lives. And so um, please don't kid yourself and, and say, well, I already get the gospel. Kieran, I already get the gospel. Can we please move on to something else? Because just think about Peter for a second. Peter was not only apostle and apostle, he was best friends with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Christ and um, his sufferings and to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He was the rock on which Christ built uh, the church. He even saw that um, blanket with all the unclean foods come down from heaven as as if God was saying to him, uh, I now welcome Gentiles. And and he even saw the spirit being poured out on these supposedly unclean Gentiles. God saying, I accept them. I love them by grace through the cleansing of Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter had all of this and yet he still didn't get the gospel. So here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that when uh, Paul confronts Peter's racism, because that's what this is, that's what Peter's doing. He's pulling away on racial and cultural grounds. When Paul confronts Peter's racism, he uses a principle. And so let's look at the wonderful truth, the wonderful principle that that is in verse 14. Paul says, they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. There it is. That's the principle. And what we're going to see Paul doing is that he's going to take this radical principle called the gospel and he's going to apply it to a particular instance of racism in this case. So first, let's look at the principle in verse 14 uh, in a bit more length. Verse 14, he says, When I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, before them all, Now, the key phrase here I want to look at is the phrase acting consistently. 
except it's not exactly um, the word and the, the correct translation of the word in Greek. The Greek word is orthopodeo which means literally walking in line. And so uh, what he actually says is, I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. And so padeo means to walk. We go and see a podiatrist in terms of our walk. And of course, walking is a really important metaphor in the Bible. Abraham walked with God. It's about your whole life. It's not just talking about your physical walk. It's talking about every area of your life and doing that with God. And so it says in 1 John, walk in the light, which means bring all of your life, your thoughts, your motivations, your actions, your heart. All of that needs to be brought into the light. And so acting consistently, which is what it says in the NRSV, isn't that helpful because it makes you think of just one-off instances or behaviors. But walking in line is about the entire trajectory of your life. It's about the entire course of your life. And so padeo means to walk, but ortho means straight. If you've got crooked teeth, you go to an orthodontist to get your dentals straight, to get your dentist straight. Dentist means straight. I wonder if you've ever seen one of those movies where a policeman pulls someone over and uh, pulls them out of the car and gets them to walk in a straight line. They're, they're trying to test whether or not they're, they're drunk and they draw this straight line and they say walk and if they're sober, they'll be able to walk in that straight line but if they're drunk, they'll stray off to the left or to the right. Paul is saying that the gospel has a trajectory. The gospel sends out lines for us to walk along. Uh, Elsewhere, he talks about the pattern of the gospel. Uh, So the gospel is a set of truths, but it comes in a particular order, which means it's not enough to just get the truths. You've got to get the pattern. You've got to get the order and you've got to set the trajectory and you've got to walk in line with that trajectory. The the truth that firstly you're a sinner, but that you try all kinds of self-salvation strategies in order to um, feel like you're okay, and that's relying on your own strength. Uh, But thirdly, the Lord Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled and perfectly kept God's law. He got a 10 out of 10. And so fourthly, if you put your trust in him and what he's accomplished, you'll be made right with God. And so you see there's There's an order, there's a logic, there's a pattern. And what Paul is saying here is that there are implications, there are lines that the gospel sends in each and every direction throughout your entire life, and it's your job to bring every area of your life in line with the gospel. Because Peter was getting it in one area, but he wasn't getting it in another. And I want to say that you and I are just the same. So, for example, if you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, how can you possibly be judgmental or proud? How can you look down on people if you're a sinner who's been saved by grace? And so that's to say that pride is not in line with the gospel. And we're supposed to think through all the implications of the gospel and and see how the gospel changes everything as long as we work out the implications in every area of our life and bring our lives into line with the gospel. 
And so Paul's um, confrontation with Peter is a wonderful case study in what this looks like. And so again, look at verse 14, where Paul describes what happened. He says, when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, We know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying to Peter. He's saying, Peter, God didn't welcome you and sit with you and eat with you on the basis of your culture or your race. You weren't justified by keeping the law and you weren't justified by your culture or your race. So how on earth can you turn around and welcome and sit and eat with people on the basis of their culture or the basis of their race? You see, Paul's saying at one level, you do get the gospel. You're applying it to your relationship with God. But at another level, you're not drawing out the implications. You're not applying it to your relationship with others. You're applying the grace of God over here, but you're not applying it over here. You're in line with the gospel over here, but you're not in line with the gospel over here. And so let's think about what Paul doesn't say to Peter. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you're breaking the racism rule. Haven't you read the Old Testament? Haven't you read Deuteronomy? Haven't you read Jonah? It says, don't be a racist. It's very clear in the Bible. Don't be a racist. Why doesn't Paul come to Peter just with the law and say, Peter, racism is a sin. Stop it. You shouldn't do that. That's not what he does. What does he say? He says, Peter, racism is out of line with the gospel. Racism is forgetting that you've been saved by grace. He's saying, Peter, you're treating people on the basis of their race and their culture, but God doesn't treat you on the basis of your race or your culture. In other words, racism is just another form of works righteousness or self-salvation because you're adding to Jesus Christ. You're saying, sure, Jesus Christ makes me righteous and accepted, but My culture and my race kind of help me do that as well. You're saying, of course, I believe in grace alone, but my culture and my race kind of put me into an elite group of Christians. I, I need that as well. What you're saying is the blood of Christ isn't enough to cleanse me and to beautify me and to make me whole. I kind of need my culture and my race to do that as well. I want you to see that this is a completely different way of attacking sin because it goes after the root instead of just going after the fruit. You see, if you say to someone, hey, stop being a racist, that's not really going to get you very far, is it? So Paul goes much deeper and he says, have a look at the reason why you're being a racist. The reason you're a racist is because you're looking to something else besides Jesus to cleanse you and to beautify you and to make you whole. You're saying, sure, uh, you're saying he's not enough. I I need more. Sure, Jesus loves me. But what I really need to make me beautiful, to make me feel whole and acceptable is, is I need this thing over here. 
Paul's saying you're using your race and your culture to prop up your sense of self. And so for that reason, you're out of line with the gospel. You're saying Jesus is not enough. Let me give you another example. Jesus says very clearly throughout the New Testament, don't be greedy, be generous. And yet there'll be people here this morning who agree with that completely, and yet you are greedy and you're not generous. There'll be people here this morning who aren't giving anywhere near the Old Testament standard of 10%, let alone the New Testament standard of sacrificial giving. Now, how do you actually deal with that? How do you change? How do you grow? (laughs) If all you ever do is say, uh, don't be greedy, the Bible says to be generous. I don't think that's going to get you very far. Paul would say, well, maybe that, that's true. That, that is actually true, but it's not enough. You see, the problem is that you're not in line with the gospel, which means you're adding to Jesus Christ. You're, you're looking to something else to cleanse you and to beautify you and to make you whole. You see, people say that money, money is an idol, but I don't think that's true. Money feeds your idol. Money fuels your idol. You see, some people make an idol out of uh, approval or appearance. And so you spend all your money on things like houses, cars, and clothes. So the reason you're not generous is because you've made an idol out of approval and appearance. And you have to have it. You need it. You can't live without it. In other words, Jesus is not enough. Because if he was enough, you wouldn't need to spend all your money on houses, cars, and clothes. If you really believe that the blood of Jesus Christ was enough to make you acceptable and beautiful and whole, if you really believe that the God of the universe loved you that much, then you wouldn't need to spend so much money on all that other stuff. And so you would stop being greedy and you would start being generous. You see, if all you ever do is say, I'm breaking the rules, that's naughty, I need to stop, then what you're doing is that you're treating the fruit, but you're ignoring the root. What you need to do in moments of greed, in in any moment of sin, is you need to see that you're turning away from Jesus to something else in the desperate hope that that thing will warm your cold self-image of yourself when the only place where you can find that warmth truly is by the fire of God's love in Christ. Here's how the great poet John Donne put it when he says to Jesus, Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. Now, I want you to notice that that is very explicit language, especially for the time of John Donne. The the word ravish has sexual overtones. Uh, The Oxford Dictionary also says that to ravish means to enrapture, to send into raptures, to fill with delight, to charm, to enthrall, to captivate or to bewitch. In other words, John Donne is saying, I'll always be running into the arms of other lovers until you ravish me, Lord, more than anyone else. So why is someone, anyone a racist? Why is anyone greedy or struggle with any besetting sin? 
Paul would say it's because they're not walking in line with the gospel. They're out of line with the gospel. So they're breaking the rules, but more importantly, they're adding to Jesus Christ. And so the radical principle that Paul gives in this passage for Christian discipleship is that the gospel sends out lines in in each and every direction. Um, Paul draws out the line here in terms of racism. I've looked at it in terms of looking at greed, but it goes out in each and every direction, which means the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A through to Z. The gospel is not just Christianity 101 and then you move on to 102 and then 103 and then 104. No, the gospel is the center. The gospel is the hub of the wheel and and it sends out lines everywhere and it's the controlling force of the Christian life. And so if you've lost your way in your Christian walk somewhere, if you're stuck, if you're not making progress, then I guarantee you, It's because somehow you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. Somehow you're adding to Jesus Christ and you're saying, he's not enough. I need more. And so the way that you make progress in the Christian life is that you finally get the gospel in an area where you hadn't got it before. You you were in line with the gospel here, but you weren't walking in line with the gospel over here. And so as you go home today, And as you reflect on what God is saying to us this morning, I hope you'll reflect on an area where maybe you're stuck, where you're not like Christ and you know it. And maybe you've been beating yourself on the head with it and treating the fruit. But I want you to consider about going after the root. There may be some kind of barrier where you're looking for breakthrough. Today, we've only been able to apply the gospel to racism and a little bit to greed, but As you look at yourself and your own life, I hope you'll begin to see that the reason you're stuck in that area is because you're not walking in line with the gospel. Somehow you're adding to Jesus Christ and you're not completely ravished, as John Don put it, by him. And so what we need to do is is we need to do for ourselves what we see Paul doing for Peter. We need to look at ourselves and see where those gospel lines are and where we're out of line so that we can bring ourselves into line. We need to be doing that for ourselves and we need to be doing that for each other as Paul does for Peter. And remember that the result of all this, according to Paul, is freedom. That's the result. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to set us free. And this is a freedom that comes by walking in line with the gospel in each and every area of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the transforming and rescuing power of the gospel. I pray that you would bring revelation and insight and understanding into our own hearts and into our own lives about where we're stuck and where we've been going after the fruit instead of attacking the root. Lord, please show us the wonderful transforming power of the gospel and help us to bring all of our lives, our entire walk in line with the gospel. I pray that the penny would be dropping, Father, here and there and everywhere. I pray that there would be breakthrough. I pray that there would be new life and insight. I pray that things that were like uh, concrete slabs would be um, seeing cracks and, and openings in people's hearts and minds as we discover the freedom of the gospel that is in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.